This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Today's guest is Rocky Snyder. Rocky is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's a nationally recognized expert in human movement with nearly 30 years of professional experience and knowledge. Rocky has trained thousands of clients ranging from grandparents to professional athletes and Olympic champions. Aside from owning and operating his studio, his training studio in Santa Cruz, California, Rocky travels far and wide providing educational workshops to personal trainers, manual therapists, chiropractors, and physical therapists. He lives and surfs with his wife and two children in Aptos, California. But most recently, he's written a book called Return to Center, which I love and has a unique approach. And this is from his book. I'm going to read it right from his book. So something that most of the listeners are really going to really resonate with. So the traditional approach to strength and conditioning has been all about getting bigger and stronger. But at what cost? Joint pain? Tendonitis? Bursitis? Non-contact sports injuries and lower back pain are just a few of the potential byproducts. In Return to Center, Rocky Snyder takes a refreshing approach to improving human performance without the drawbacks of pain and reduced mobility. This new methodology bases each program on the individual, their posture, and their unique gait pattern. No two people have identical lives, so why should they have identical programs? So Rocky, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Ken. I appreciate you having me. So talk to us a little bit about your background, how you got into this. Before this, we were chatting, you know, you're a New Englander turned Californian, which most people always come back, but you're one of the few that have stayed out there. So tell us a little bit about Rocky Snyder and how you got into this. Yeah, the prodigal son who has yet to return, I guess. <laughs> yeah, everyone I mean, always I, says I love New England. East, right? So it's like <laughs> everyone always moves back east. That's it. That's it. But I just found what works for me. I'm, I'm one of the few, I guess, and I'm not looking back. And I think my family got to understand that many years ago when they stopped asking me, so when are you coming back? But I loved growing up in New England. I don't think there's a better place to grow up as a kid than New England because not only the season's changing and you've got the most amazing sports teams in the world as far as I'm concerned I that's one thing that I'm never going to to let go of I'll always be a Pats fan a Sox fan a Celts fan Uh, but you know there's there comes a time for me at least where I need to expand my horizons and I moved out to California following some friends and it wasn't too long before I got a job at a local health club. Now before that, I was having a great time working out. A buddy of mine taught, took me to a rusty old gym back in the mid 80s or so when we were just in high school and and I just fell in love with how it felt and how your body was changing. and. And of course, doing all the sports that I could, it was just something that became an integrated part of my life. So when I moved out here and there was an opening at a health club, I just jumped on it. And this was in about 1991, 92. And personal training at that time wasn't something that was very mainstream. In fact, it was mainly just maybe corporate executives that were hiring a a trainer and a coach or Hollywood stars that were trying to get ready for some role they were playing in a movie. But 
Sure enough, there was a fellow come up from Orange County, Southern California, the LA area, into this central coast region where Santa Cruz, for those that aren't familiar, it's about an hour south of San Francisco and about maybe 45 minutes north of Pebble Beach for those golfers, you know, Monterey area. We're right on the, the northern cusp of Monterey Bay. So we're a small kind of quiet town or county that is bordered on the mountains with Silicon Valley. So we had the corporate executives kind of flowing over here, but we had this one fellow from Orange County who was getting into the personal training business and came up and spoke to the owners of the club and said, this is what you really need to do. So they recruited a couple of us in the staff to become the very first personal trainers. And at that time, they said, hey, just, you know, as long as you give a solid workout, that's all that matters. But a fellow that I worked with and myself decided we want to go get certified. So the National Strength and Conditioning Association is the group that we looked at the most because they had this certification, which is kind of the gold standard in the industry today. It's called the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. A year later, they began the certification for personal training. So I did that as well. And then that just kind of snowballed for me in terms of trying to gain more credentials more certifications, more knowledge, go to different workshops and so on. And a few years later, about the beginning of March of 96, I broke away from that health club and opened up my own studio here in Santa Cruz in the surf area, uh, right down, down by the ocean called Pleasure Point. For surfers, that's kind of, uh, I won't say a mecca, but that's definitely something on maybe your top 20 list of places to surf before you go. So I'm right there in the heart of Surf Central, and with the fitness studios, of course, I, I get quite a few people there, ocean um, aficionados, I guess you'd say, enthusiasts. And it's, it's just been a, a wonderful, fun amusement ride all the way through. Yeah, sort of the ocean athlete versus what we're talking about, the mountain athlete, right? Or the alpine athlete or two. They're similar but different, but it's yeah. a lot of the same movements. It's full body stuff. It's, and talk to us a bit about that. You're, you had written two previous books. Was it Fit to Surf and Fit to Ski? Tell us yes. a little bit about the movements and being in shape for those sports because many of the listeners focus on a lot of those. Well, it's interesting because most people are having some pursuits, some activities, and sometimes they'll use that as their form of exercise. But then there are those that are more weather-related, weather-dependent, such as skiing, snowboarding, and surfing. You know, if you don't get snow, you're not going to be up on the slopes very much. Even if with the snowmaking procedures, it's not going to be something that you're really willing to go up there and do a lot. And if there aren't waves coming through your area, you're not going to be really surfing. So there are those downtimes in between storms and in between swell that people need to stay in shape. So I wrote Fit to Surf, A Surfer's Guide to Strength Conditioning, back in early 2000s, about 2001, 2002. And it was the first of its kind, in fact. And, and so since then, there have been some other kind of books and videos out there, of course. And today's surfers are not part of the 70s drug culture and party scene so much as they are really serious athletes. And they take it into consideration about yoga and working out and eating right. And the same holds true for skiing for the most part. I mean, it's no, no longer really Hot Dog the Movie or the Blizzard of Oz, right? I mean, those were great times. But now the skiers today, they're, they're much more precise with their conditioning. And there's going to be times where, of course, if you're traveling down to the southern regions in the summer months, that's great. But for many people, they're just locked into wherever they their home resort is. So in the off season, they really need to do some training conditioning. So I came out with fit to ski and snowboard. And 
funny enough, I wrote another one because my background in New England and a high adventure Boy Scout troop growing up, I would spend my weekends throughout New Hampshire and Maine riverways doing whitewater canoeing, rafting, and kayaking. So I thought, oh, this is great. I'll write one for paddle sports. But the thing I didn't realize is that that one tanked. That book didn't really sell very well. In fact, and the reason why is because kayakers and paddlers that is their form of exercise and they can do it just about any time they want as long as there's water they don't necessarily depend upon weather conditions necessarily so they didn't really need a workout book because they already are working out when they go paddle so right no and and it's so true and i I love what you said is you got to do something when the snow melts and the good thing is sports like surfing or like skiing or any of those it's many of the other people they're doing other sports along the way right and i think the precision that you mentioned though is is critical in order to be to excel in those sports because of the balance and because of mobility and that's you know and i and your book return to center talks a lot about that right a lot about the balance the mobility and and i know as 47 years old it's that's becoming more and more important right is the ability to move versus, oh, I could just go do this and be able to do that tomorrow from back in your 20s and 30s. It's, it takes a little bit longer to get warmed up and to get moving. So talk to us a little bit about that and you know why you wrote Return to Center. Well, yeah, I definitely want to. Like what you were just talking about when you're in your 20s and 30s, I view that time in an individual's life as the time for the mating ritual. This is the time that they have left their their homestead and they've moved on their own. Honestly, just like maybe a, a, a young lioness or young lion will leave their pride and, and go look for another place to, to, to find a mate. And so what are they doing? They're pruning and preening and pumping themselves up. And there's really very little difference with our culture and how we treat our bodies and and what we're trying to do in our own workouts. So for those people in their 20s and 30s, it's all about high intensity and bodybuilding kind of and and getting spelt and looking incredible in a bikini or a bathing suit or naked in the mirror. But as we start to accumulate our families, our occupations, our livelihood and, and all the things that go along with it, now we get into our 40s and perhaps on. Now it's it's not so much the mating game as it is the longevity game. And can I pursue the thing that I find enjoyment with, especially with maybe if I have kids, can I stay alongside them and enjoy those activities without my body breaking down? Now, here's the crux, though, is that the things that we're doing in our 20s and 30s were the same things uh, that generations have been doing before that. And what I mean with when you go to a gym or a, a workout place, a health club, there are specific machines that have been developed with a certain philosophy or a fundamental approach in mind. And what that approach is, is it's based actually on three competitions or three sports. And those three sports are bodybuilding, which is essentially the goal there is to make your muscles bigger by isolating and redefining or defining the muscles for sculpting purposes, not necessarily for how the body moves, but mainly for aesthetic reasons. And then aside from bodybuilding, you have powerlifting, which at one point in time used to be odd lifting and had a bunch of different lifts, but it has been kind of reduced down to three main lifts, which is the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. And the purpose of powerlifting is just brute force production. How much can I lift? Laying on my back, squatting up and down or bending over. 
but that doesn't necessarily equate to how am I going to necessarily create movement throughout my regular day. This is getting you ready for a competition. And, and the last one is Olympic style weightlifting, which we have seen explode on the scene in the last 20 years, especially with CrossFit games and, and, and maybe even Spartan races or other high intensity kind of competitions. So we are basing our fitness routine on three competitions and not necessarily on how we stand against gravity, what our posture is like, or how we even move through space. Something that we have been doing for two million years as a species, our walking pattern is not taken into consideration in any way, but walking is what really propels functions of the body to perform at a very optimal level. Our circulation, our digestion, our immune system, our respiratory system, uh, reproduction, everything is really, really dictated by the quality of our ability to move. So here we go to a gym and we sit in these machines or we do these mechanized movements that are very reflective of powerlifting, body, uh, bodybuilding or, or Olympic lifting. And now we start to see that combine that with the fact that we are sitting in place more now than ever before with shelter in place, our bodies are going from a fairly sedentary existence to something very high intensity. And that extreme shift in the spectrum is causing a lot of postural distortions, muscular imbalances, creating more compensation, which leads to inflammation and wearing patterns. And the highly repetitive actions that we continually do are going to create even more wear patterns like the threadbare carpet that has been worn away because people keep trampling on it every time they enter a, a building or a house. That makes sense? It totally does. No, and I love what you're saying about the patterns, right? Of you just sort of wearing in the same patterns. Talk to us a bit about, you know, changing those patterns. All, most of the people have always, you know, again, prescribed to one of the three, three things that you're talking about, um, the powerlifting, the bodybuilding, or the Olympic weight movements. Which one, two questions here, which one is, you know, of those three is probably more functional, number one. And number two, talk to us a bit about wearing the patterns, right? Do you, do you change the patterns up? How do, you, how do you not stay sort of you know, wearing your hips out or wearing your shoulders out or, or any of that? Sure. Okay, out of the three, consider this, that the average American takes 5,000 steps a day in terms of walking. The average Europeans, 10,000 steps a day, and that's maybe why we're not seeing the obesity rate so high over there. But nonetheless, 5,000 steps a day over the course of a year is 1,850,000 repetitions. That is a lot of repetitions. And with no other movement have we performed that frequently on a regular basis. And depending upon where your body is in space and your posture and how your joints move, walking could actually be a very beneficial thing. But if you've distorted your posture to a certain degree or you've had injuries that haven't been fully rehabilitated, you know, walking can be actually a problematic repetitive action. Uh, so with those three lifts, your question was, which one is the most functional? I guess it would be if I had to choose, I would actually choose bodybuilding to some degree because I can actually do many of those movements in a fairly functional approach, not isolating always doing curls or leg extensions or leg curls or some type of 
ab exercise that just that you're trying to feel the burn. That's not what I'm talking about. But the fact that we, the way we walk is one leg moves forward while the other moves back. One arm swings forward while the other moves back. When the, when the hips swing one leg forward, they rotate in one direction. And the opposite arm swings forward, which rotates the rib cage in the opposite direction of that. So we have all of this oppositional movement. When it comes to powerlifting and Olympic lifting, there is none of that. It is bilateral, meaning both arms and both legs have to do the same thing at the same time to maintain a balanced lift. So we're taking something that we might do 10% of the time, bilateral movement, and we are taking those lifts and creating more than 60, 70, maybe even 80 or 90% of our workout routine being solely bilateral. That doesn't sound really like a solid approach. We want to try and train our bodies to move well. So it would make sense to understand how it is we actually move and then try to create a program based on that. And what are some of the best ways to figure out how you actually move, right? It's, if can people do it without having someone watch them, number one, or, you know, what are some of the best ways to sort of figure out if there are stretches or there certain movements to figure out, oh my God, I'm so tight this way, or I don't have the mobility going that way. And one side of the body is, you know, we all know that one side is typically stronger than the other. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's almost like you're advertising the book here for me. I appreciate that because within it, there are three types of assessments that people can do on their own. Some are a little bit more requiring some awareness of your body and how you move. Uh, another may really require a keen eye to see your body in a mirror. And another one is just simply getting a sense of where your body weight is. For instance, where your body weight is, how it relates down into your feet. All the joints are connected. So when you feel more weight in a certain area of your foot, we can pretty much have a nice scientific hypothesis of what your structure is most likely doing based just on your foot pressure itself. And so what I've done is with the help of my mentors who have mapped out what the body does through the entire gait cycle, meaning all joints of the body, how they move in three dimensions, I've taken that information and applied it to foot pressure as well as just training and conditioning. So if we know where your foot pressure is, I've got a pretty good sense of what mobility drills you might wanna do, what target areas, if you like foam rolling or doing soft tissue work, myofascial release work, what areas you may wanna target there that may be compressed and pent up and need some, some breath into it, some circulation. Uh, mobility drills, what areas of the body might you want to start to explore, as well as which strength exercises you might want to start to implement into your program or at least assess do an exercise and see did that make things a little bit better in regards to my movement my strength overall and then so that's the foot pressure then we can also just generally take a person's posture and get a sense of where is their head relative to their hips where are their knees in relation to their shoulders or where are their arms related to their trunk all of this just get a general hopefully a three-dimensional understanding of where a person's posture is. And based on these kind of body shapes, which we can kind of boil down to eight types of body shapes, then we can get that, a list of mobility drills, soft tissue work, and strength training exercises based on that. And there's another way we could do it there within the book, and that is uh, to understand the components of how the body should move through space when it walks. The pelvis should tilt forward as well as backwards. It should glide to the left and right as well as tilt left and right. 
and rotate left and right. So if you move, you should have a relative freedom of motion in all of those kind of aspects of the pelvis. So we do a movement assessment based on that. Can you tilt evenly forward and backwards? Can you glide to the left as well as to the right? Is there any difference between these? And what we're gonna find is that you have lost the ability to do some of these elements. And what that means is that your body is skipping over some very critical components of movement and therefore creating more compensation, which very well could lead to non-contact sports injuries or wear and tear. So by choosing one or all of these assessment tools, you can really get a better understanding of a menu of movements that you can select from, rather than just arbitrarily choosing it or selecting it just because this one works my arms and this one works my butt, or I need to get my abs looking so good because summer's coming. We, we just put the aesthetics aside for now. Let the, the mating ritual group take care of that, but let the longevity group start to focus on a different approach that's going to reduce the wear and tear on the body and improve optimal performance. And what about ages, right, when it comes to this? Is it more for, you know, mobility? Are people more mobile, younger, older? Are they, you know, I, I've done a fair amount of homework on, on this whole subject and have yet to figure out if, you know, there's a lot of kids who are, oh my God, I'm so tight at 20, but at 40, they're not tight or vice versa. Or is it, you know, talk to us a little bit about tightness. Is it something that happens, or not tightness, but lack of mobility? Is it something that happens? I'm assuming as it gets older because you get stuck in your patterns, but, um, you know, do you see it with younger individuals as well? Yeah, that's a really great question because there's something called LTAD. It stands for long-term athletic development. And in the fitness industry, it's something that is being really kind of homed in on so that young- we call it old man fitness, us old fast guys, right? We call it old man fitness that we can go beat all the young guys. <laughs> that's it. You got to figure out how to do that. But it's interesting, like you say yourself, you've got a couple of kids and they're entering their teenage years. This is the, the time in life where they get all awkward, you know, the, the lanky kind of awkward movements of a teenager. And really the underlying reason why that is because the bone growth is faster than the muscle length will accommodate. So they start to get really reduced in their mobility. So if there's a time with youth to improve mobility, it would be right around uh, puberty and adolescence, where the body is really lengthening faster than the muscles can catch up. That'd be a great time for it. Most of us lose our mobility in certain areas during that growth phase. And the reason why is because we're not purposefully physically active. We are living in a world that has never been seen before. In fact, this is the epitome right now with shelter in place. In order for us to maintain our livelihood, I actually have to sit in front of my laptop to train clients. I'm trying to move while they're moving, but it is requiring definitely a conscious effort on my part. We have so much technology, labor-saving, and time-saving devices that it has taken away movement from our bodies, and that movement enhances the aging process. So when we talk about I'm getting older or we use age as an excuse, I want to just smash that thought into oblivion because what's happening simultaneously with our aging is this, is this kind of quiet shadow that's following along and that's our activity level. 
You think about as we were growing up, we were very active kids in New England or wherever. But then as time goes by, more responsibilities and commitments come into place. And so that reduces, chances are, reduces our activity level. And now maybe you're in an office setting and you have a career there and you're no longer playing basketball with your buddies after you get done with your part-time job. All these things start to slowly accumulate. And it's not the aging so much as it is the reduction of movement that is in that's increasing the wear and tear and distortion and the effects of, we'll call it aging, but the effects of a sedentary lifestyle. So honestly, as we go forth into our years, proper movement is going to be required. Now, that might mean mobility in certain areas that are restricted, but it may also mean some reduction of movement in areas that are moving too much. Because you cannot have somebody that's completely double-jointed. There's nobody that may be a contortionist in the circus who has been practicing on opening up every joint. But even them, they're going to find some places that have less movement than others. It's a, just a spectrum of where you take from, you've got to take away from somewhere else. right? Or where you give to one place, you take from somewhere else. So mobility in certain areas is key. But strength and stability in other areas to slow movement that is, that is compensatory is is equally important. And what about, you know, strength training as you get older, right? I'm a big fan of, I did endurance training for years and years and adventure racing, and and I still do that stuff, but I've really supplemented with strength training and and it totally changes everything because I know skeletally I feel out of line when I only do endurance training, right? You're losing muscles around your spine, you're losing muscles around your, you know, hips and pelvis, or I feel like I am because of, um, you know, I don't have that support anymore. Is strength training more important as you age, less important as you age? Talk to us a bit about that. Well, that's going to be an interesting topic in itself because you're going to find research that backs up whatever opinion you want to find. <laughs> okay, right? right. So some of the ones that are really geared towards strength training associations and so on are all about strength training, while others are are not. I what I'm finding is that the majority of people cannot own their own body weight in terms of being able to properly move it in different directions and different positions. And that on average, the average person loads weight onto their body too quickly. They don't have the, the ability to coordinate their own movements and adding external load onto it is not necessarily going to clean things up. Uh, so there's that. But then there's going to be those people, the population that actually need to load more if they've got good alignment, their bodies are moving to a, to a certain level of, of appropriateness, then we can start to load onto it. If you think about it, strength training, what's really interesting, we already talked about the, the fundamental uh, history of it and where it comes from, bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic lifting. If we stop and just move that aside and think about many of the other approaches to health and fitness that we have at our disposal today, they're completely different outside the Western world. Like yoga, it's been going on somewhere around 5,000 plus years. And yoga is all about aligning the body, bringing the body back into a balanced central place. You've got the martial arts which in order to create force and generate power and defensive maneuvers, you also have to come from a very centered, grounded, balanced place. And we can even throw in Tai Chi, 
In fact, acupuncture's approach is all about freeing up pent-up energy or chi to allow the energy meridians or energy flow through the body to properly go back and forth so that all the functions within the body are really at their optimal best. Those are all, the fundamental foundation is all about bringing the body into a central place. And then we go into the Western world, which compartmentalizes the body into one joint or another, or one exercise that's going to work my deltoid or another that's going to isolate my lap, instead of how the body flows through with, with power and force production. How does it transfer evenly without anything really being pent up? It's very interesting. I just, I see a, a, a disconnect within our Western approach. And I guess that's why the, the title itself to the book is Return to Center, because the, we can use these tools in our gym setting, in, in the health clubs, in a way that we haven't been. We can use them in a way that goes along the, the same alignment principles that yoga, acupuncture, even chiropractic. I didn't even mention that, but chiropractic medicine is all about adjusting the body and many various approaches to bring about a more central, balanced place. So why aren't we doing that with our fitness approach in, in the Western world? And so this is hopefully an alternative approach that takes those elements into consideration and tries to do something that's restorative, yet at the same time building bodies that are going to withstand the, the, the slings and arrows of the outrageous technological fortunes that we find ourselves in. So why aren't we doing it in the Western world? Because we're, we're all about quick fix. We're all about instantaneous results. We're instant oatmeal and instant coffee. And now can I order my cappuccino from, forget the drive-through, I'm going to order it while I'm driving there on my phone or on my, my watch. And I'll just go in, grab the slip and go. It's all about how quick. You know, there used to be a time where we measured uh, mail service in weeks with the Pony Express, maybe it came days. And then eventually telephone and whatnot, now we're talking, it went down to hours. And in today's world, Google search, it goes to, I don't know how many thousands or tens of thousands of a second. Everything is sped up. And so because of that, we're just, we're lemmings, really. We're just going along with it, just being the faithful companion, go, okay, you want that? Okay, let's, let's do that quicker. And it, how many shape or fitness magazine covers do you need to see with, oh, abs of the summer, six weeks of, of brilliant arms, bulletproof your butt with these four movements? Like, so, so we're, in, we're in a conundrum. We're, we're in a place where we need to break away from societal images. And we need to go, honestly, I don't want to sound too ethereal, but we need to reflect inward. We need to bring some awareness back into our body and how it moves rather than be so superficial on the outside about how am I fitting into this, this season's summer fashion? You know, that's really what it boils down to. And that's why I say, you know, in the, the 20s and 30s, it's all about mating. You're, you're going to get those. I don't have too many clients in their 20s and 30s. The ones that I do have aren't playing that game. They've already recognized the importance of it. And maybe it's because some, many of those have become injured and they recognize that that is not the approach they need to take. So they come here and they get a little bit of re-education 
physically and mentally so that they can understand that, oh, yeah, maybe the reason why my back keeps hurting me is because I sprained my ankle last fall and it's shifted the way in which I'm walking. Even though I went and saw a physical therapist who gave me ankle exercises, they didn't necessarily look at my whole body and how it was moving. So what I'm seeing is, oh, my hip is really locked up because I shifted my weight off that ankle. And now every time I move, my lower back is compensating. And that massage therapist, which was great and alleviated my lower back tension, well, that tension came back. So we show them, oh, well, we need to actually get those hips to communicate with the ankle so the lower back doesn't have to compensate anymore. And here are some movements you can do that are mobility-based and foam rolling, as well as some strength exercises. And the strength exercises are the ones we've been doing in the gym. They're just being reformulated in a way that's going to be more beneficial to the end result of just being pain-free and, and being the best you can on the soccer pitch or the basketball court or just around the house lifting laundry. Right. No. And I love what you were saying earlier, the instant gratification. And that's what our health system is. It's you hurt your ankle. Let's take care of that versus, oh yeah, you have tension, like you said, in your back or your shoulder and, and your ankle hurts because it's just the bottom of the kinetic chain. If it could go six feet further into the ground, that would be the thing that would be hurting down there. I remember I had plantar fasciitis a few years ago and the PT person I saw is like, it's nothing to do with your feet. It's everything to do with, you know, what's going on up here in your shoulder that's then going down and taking off your hips that are then going everything down below. And it was a huge eye-opening experience for me to really realize that, um, you know, everything is connected, right? And without one piece or the other piece, it's, it's compensated. Uh, tremendously you're because your body is a master of compensation no matter what it's it's the fight or flight right it's gonna take care of yourself to not hurt in that situation for the time being but overall it's really gonna it's gonna cause like you were saying the wear and tear and the movement patterns it's so true it comes down to really how it boils down is the brain the brain is without our brain we're we're nothing we can survive actually without a heart without a liver there's a whole bunch of body parts we don't necessarily necessarily need in order to maintain existence but without a brain that's not going to happen and the brain's primary purpose is survival and the way it survives is to make sure it has the nutrients and the fuel it needs to continue the energy it needs to continue to survive that means that it's going to do its best to be the most efficient it can be with the rest of the body at any given moment even with injuries like say you you sprained your ankle you're not suddenly going to start walking on your hands to avoid it because that's going to require a lot more energy no your brain says oh well if i just shift a little bit here uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit more work, but it's not as much work as if I hopped around on one leg for the rest of my life. So the brain is constantly trying to perfect the way in which we move. And that's why when people say, the, they use the word dysfunctional, we've got to kind of say, hold on, let's, let's not use the word dysfunction. You're actually functioning at the best you can be in this moment. Now, the brain might have forgotten how to properly move onto that ankle, so to really restore better movement is going to be essential in order to get back to an even more efficient manner so that you reduce the compensation. So, yeah, it's really, you're, you're doing the great. No matter who's listening right now, how you move is awesome. It is wonderful. Now your body eventually may have something to say about that, so there may be a need to start to retrain 
really good, efficient, proper movement into the body so that it has another opportunity, another option. Because the unconscious part of your brain and the subconscious brain, the cerebellum that really controls the motor control of how we walk and how we stand against gravity with our posture, it's very binary. It's going to be a one or a zero. And right now, if you're living on a one and you're feeling pain, then the brain doesn't know that there's a zero out there. And as soon as we guide them into movements that are more efficient, it switches over instantly. So that's the cool thing here too, is that we've seen people that have been doing this program that have come in in pain and they leave in one session of doing a certain movements and they're, they're skipping out of here going, oh my God, I can't believe it, it happened so fast. And yeah. it doesn't happen always that way, but it, it's pretty remarkable how it can. Well, and like you're saying, it's awareness, right? It's all of a sudden you just became aware of something you never even knew about. It's, oh, okay, you know, if I do this, then that'll fix this or fix that and go in different directions. It's becoming aware of the different patterns that your body does or doesn't have. Awareness in all aspects of life, for sure. Right, of course. And if we can bring awareness into it and let the subconscious clamp onto whatever it is we're doing, then we don't actually need to think about how we're moving. We're just moving more efficiently. That's why when we talk about posture, somebody's always saying, well, yeah, yeah, I, I try and sit up and I try and do this. Well, that's a conscious effort, which is fine. But as soon as the phone rings or somebody talks to you, you're going to forget about that because you can only hold so many tasks in your mind consciously at a time. This needs to be something that is more the subconscious, that is regulated without you thinking about it, an involuntary kind of response. And, and that's kind of where we're going with it. Awesome. This has been amazing. 35 minutes went super fast and we could go for hours and hours and probably come back again because this is a topic I know a lot of people are, uh, are really focused on right now with the advent of everything that's out there from, you know, CrossFit to ultras or to marathons and triathlons and everything. But where can people find more about you? Where can they find your book, Return to Center? Give us some insight around that. Uh, they can go to the publisher is Mascot Books. Uh, mascotbooks.com is an easy way to get it. It will be released at the beginning of next month, I think June 1st on Amazon. So you can go as well as Barnes and Noble and all the major booksellers. If you want to find out more information about myself, rockysnyder.com, that's S-N-Y-D-E-R. Uh, you can just do a search Rocky Snyder Santa Cruz and a whole bunch of things will pop up. We've got a YouTube channel, which is also by my name, Rocky Snyder CSCS. Where we've, we've got all, the nice thing about this book too is I've embedded QR codes next to every concept, movement, and drill. And when you scan on that with your phone, a YouTube video will pop up. So the book is very interactive and I've created about 150 videos that go along with the book so you can get more in-depth information about every movement because reading it and trying to do it based on a photograph and some text is okay, but to actually see somebody moving through the exercise or the motions really helps out a lot. So you can go to you, our YouTube channel, Rocky Snyder, and there's a, a, about 400 videos right now. Some shelter-in-place workouts you can do at home using only a backpack or things around the house. And then we've got kids PE classes for the homeschool groups that are going on right now, as well as senior fitness classes. So we're, we're trying to get out there for the community. But if you're interested in the book, yeah, mascotbooks.com. Awesome. No, Rocky, this was phenomenal. And thank you for your time and, and everything else. Your insight is, is tremendous. And I'm definitely going to check out those videos as well. And I think everyone should. I've seen a few of them and they've been, been amazing. So again, thanks again.
Ken, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat with you. And, you know, I, I could talk shop all day long and geek out on the body. So if you ever want to kind of reconnect, I'm, I'm up for it always. Perfect. And if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, feel free to email me at kenintheexecutiveathletes.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Hopefully this uh, pandemic, we're on the backside of a bit, but we'll see. But make sure you're out there moving, still crushing it and making it happen. Thanks for listening.